We continue in this morning with a, a very brief series. Dropping stuff. With our very brief series to, to start the year on intentional living. Um, and, and now, as we deal with intentional living, just as a reminder, what we're talking about is we're talking about striving to be living life on purpose. And, and listen, I, I don't care who you are this morning or why you're here. Uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian today, then, then what I'm assuming and what I'm hoping is that you're here this morning because you want to strive to live the Christian life on purpose. If you're not a Christian here today and you got drug, you're visiting, um, your, your parents made you come, whatever the case is, here, here's what I want you to understand, that you also need to live life on purpose. I think all of us can agree, doesn't matter who you are or what you do, that a life that's not lived with intention is wasted. That doing things halfway, going through the motions, that none of those things is going to work. None of those things are going to be effective. None of those things are going to be fulfilling. None of those things will sustain you. All of them will fall short. Okay, so life that's lived well is life that's lived with intention. It's lived on purpose. It's done with passion. I'm going to take that a step further and say that life that's meaningful is lived with passion and intention for Jesus Christ. That's what we're about here, and that's why we've started off this year with series about intentional living. And last week we discussed this. Last week we talked about the fact that as Christians, our goal for ourselves, God's goal for us, what we're hoping to do, what we're striving to do, what we are putting our energy and effort into is growing intentionally committed to growing to be more and more like Jesus. If we're not, as Christians, committed to growing to be more and more like Jesus, then we're wasting our time. And we said if you were interested in doing that, then there's a few things that you can be committed to doing on a regular basis that will help you grow to be more and more like Jesus. In fact, I would venture to say, and I would be interested if somebody thought they could prove me wrong on this, I would venture to say that if you commit to these four things, it will be impossible for you to not grow to be more and more like Jesus. And in case you need a reminder about what these are, um, some of the gals at the church were, were nice enough to, to print up cards and throw them in your bulletins this morning. Because for them, it's important enough that you be committed to this idea of personal revival, personal growth, growing to be more and more like Jesus. And so we're actually going to add a couple of things to this list today, but we'll start here. Look, if you commit to these four things, you will grow to be more like Jesus. If you show up at church where you'll be fed, where you'll be with people, where you'll be part of a family of believers that's committed to the same things you are, if you read your Bible every single day, If you're in the word that God has given you, that transforms you, that makes you more and more like his son. If you join a small group of like-minded people that can encourage you in your growth and can hold you accountable where you slip and can continue to lift you up. And then this, this part here that, that really stinks. If you make an effort to ruthlessly cut sin out of your life where it exists, not to wink at it, not to smile at it, 
not to decide that it's not as bad as other people's sins, that it's actually a respectable sin. Most people don't even call it sin, so I don't have to worry about, no. If you make an effort to ruthlessly cut out sin where it exists, if you do those things, you will grow. It's impossible to do those things and stay put because those things are intentional. And we continue today adding to the list of what it takes to have intentional growth. And today we talk about intentional service. And I say service, um, and you get antsy, I would imagine. When I say that being part of the Christian life takes intentional service, some of you get a little tight in the stomach. Uh, maybe your, your, your chest gets a little, because what you're used to, okay, or, or what your experience tells you maybe, is that the churches are interested in what you can provide them. See, and unfortunately, that's a, a, it's a picture of the church today. It's not always accurate. Unfortunately, there are some times where it's been accurate, okay? And, and if that's the case for you, if you've been a part of a church where they were more interested in what you could provide them than they were interested in you personally, then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to apologize on their behalf for that, Okay? Because what we want, what we understand, is that we, as a church, are interested in helping people grow. And we encourage you to serve because serving is how you grow. In fact, there's a big idea that we need to understand is that getting plugged into intentional, meaningful service is one of the critical keys to intentional Christian living. If you are not plugged into intentional service, you are not you're not going to experience what God has for you. Somebody asked me why. That's a great question. This is one of those times where if Carrie, Carrie's downstairs today, so I'll talk about her. Um, but this is one of those times where if Carrie and I were having an argument, she would stop and she would say, okay, Hans, show your work. Because I have a tendency to make grand statements. Like I, I'm like, well, Carrie, this is always true 70% of the time. And she'll say, that's great. Show your work. And I'll have to explain to her how and why I'm always right. But half the time. Um, but you, you would rightly say, okay, Matt, you're, you're telling me that, that intentional service is necessary to grow, is necessary to be an authentic Christian. Why is that? Well, it's because it's how you're made. Look at this. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If you are a Christian here this morning, what this verse says about you, what this text tells us about you, if you are a Christian here this morning, is that you have been remade in the image of Jesus. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, by the way. 2 Corinthians 5.17, my all-time favorite verse. I've told you that before. Okay? My all-time favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, says that you are a new creation. Those in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come in its place. Your old spiritual self has literally died and gone away, and a new spiritual life has been born in its place. We say, well, that's weird because I didn't notice, right? I was here the whole time. Well, listen, we are so grounded in a physical world that we think, well, it didn't physically happen, so it's not real. It's this mystical kind of thing. Well, yeah, it is mystical, but it's very real. Your spiritual life is a very real thing. And God tells us in the word that when you become a Christian, your old spiritual life disappears. It's gone for good. It's not getting a makeover. 
Okay, it's not being redone. It's not being spruced up. It's not putting on its Sunday best. It's not getting dressed up to go out. When you are a new Christian, your old life is literally dead and gone, and God gives you a new spiritual life in its place. That's a big deal. If you were going to say amen today, now I'm not saying you have to. It's up to you. But if you were going to say amen today, that would be a good place to do it. Okay, man. Killing me. All right. Here's the deal. As a Christian, your old life is gone, your new life is come. And then we read in Ephesians 2.10, my second favorite verse in Scripture. It's going to be a test later. My second favorite verse in Scripture tells me this. Oh, yeah, you know that new creation that you are now? You became a Christian, your old life died, your new life came in its place. You know that new person that you are now? It's for a reason! And it's not so that you can sit back and be happy about your new life. It's not so that you can gloat and tell people how awesome you are not. It's not so you can punch a ticket to heaven. Heaven is a great byproduct of your salvation. It is not the purpose of your salvation. Some of you here are woefully confused about that. For a long time, I was woefully confused by that. I thought I'm a Christian. I got heaven. I'm in good shape. No, no, no. Heaven is a byproduct. Heaven is what happens at the... But this is about something. Now I read this and it says you are God's masterpiece. He's created you new. And oh, by the way, masterpiece, awesome word. I am a work of art. <laughs> Deal with that. Right? Sculptures come in every shape and size. But I am God's masterpiece. I am a work of art. He has carefully put me together. I am new in Christ Jesus, but not so that I can sit and wait for heaven, but so that I can be about the good works that he planned for me long ago. That means whatever I do today, when I listen to God, when I'm following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, when I am actively at work for the kingdom, I'm doing what I was created to do. And when you are not following God, when you are not actively listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when you are not about kingdom work, then you are not doing the things that God has made you to do. Familiar with uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You know that, that triangle pyramid that we learned about way back in school? You know what's at the top of that? Being self-actualized. See, last week we looked at Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 says we don't want to be conformed to the pattern of the world, the way the culture thinks, but we want to be transformed to think the way that Jesus thinks, to think the way that God thinks, to, to grow more and more like Jesus. We don't want to be this way. We want to grow to be this. The world tells you, the culture tells you, when you're going to be conformed, it's you think, when I finally get here, I'm self-actualized. I'm important because I know, and I, and, 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 and I think, and, and I, can, I can feel differently, and I can understand things, but that's the way the world thinks. See, when I get over here, and I'm, I'm being transformed to the way God thinks, I think, you know what? You know where my value comes from? The fact that, that God has made me. And do you know what gives me passion and purpose in life? It's doing the things that God has laid out for me to do. Some of you I've talked to, 
Some of you, and, and we got to move on or we're going we're gonna to linger too long here, but, but some of you I've had this conversation with and you want to know, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What am I supposed to be about? What's the point of all of this? Well, the point of all of this, what you're supposed to be doing with your life, the thing that drives you, the thing that should drive you as a Christian is being about kingdom work. What that looks like for you, I can't say for sure, but when you are about kingdom work, you are being who you were made in Christ to be. Period. You're God's masterpiece. You're made for this. If you're not doing it, then you're going to have a real hard time feeling like you're growing, feeling like you're living life on purpose. It just won't work. Okay? It just won't. Okay? Now, oh, we, we went too far here. So let's open up our Bibles. We're going to be focusing in Mark chapter 10. Okay, and uh, we're going we're gonna to take a look at, at a pretty um, common piece of scripture, something that you've heard before, I would imagine, but just in case, we're going to go over it here together um, in detail, okay? Starts in, uh, starts in Mark 10, verse 35, we're going to read the first six together here. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Him, him would be Jesus. They came and spoke to him. They said, teacher, Jesus, uh, we want you to do us a favor. Okay, anybody that's been in a position, like you've been the boss of somebody or a parent of somebody, uh, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, do me a favor. But they don't tell you what it is. Like, like will you agree to do this for me? What? Uh, agree first. That's a little sketchy, right? And be careful there. But they say this. They, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. Okay, and then they, they tell him what it is here. They say, okay, what's your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne. So now they're talking about a future time. They know Jesus is here doing earthly ministry, but they, they understand that the kingdom of God is coming. It's not coming as fast as they think it is, but they understand that the kingdom is coming and they understand that Jesus will reign. Okay, and so they say, when you sit on your glorious throne, I lost my place, there it is, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. See, that's how it was. So, so the king would sit in the middle, and the most prestigious seats in the palace, in the throne room, would be the one right next to the king on the right, and the one right next to the king on the left. Okay, and so here, James and John, brothers, these are two of Jesus' inner circle. Remember Jesus' inner circle? He's got 12 disciples, but he's got three that are part of this inner circle. You've got John, James, and Peter. Okay, and just so you know, it doesn't end well for any of them in a human sense. John is exiled to the island of Patmos, which is not an awesome island to be exiled to. Think not Hawaii, think lost. Terrible show. Don't waste your time. Sorry, man. Peter, tradition tells us, was crucified by Rome. Um, and tradition tells us that he demanded to be crucified upside down because it wasn't worthy of the same um, execution that his Savior received. James was beheaded by Herod for teaching Christ. 
It doesn't end well for these three men that are part of the inner circle. But they ask him, they say, okay, Jesus, John and James say, Jesus, when you're sitting on your glorious throne, when everybody is looking at you because you are the king, you are king, everybody is looking at you, when that happens, wouldn't it be great, Jesus, if they saw us too? Wouldn't it be great if I was on your right and my brother was on your left? And yeah, they're going to look at you, but they're going to see us. And wouldn't that be great? You know what they're saying to Jesus is, I want to be awesome. I want to be great. And Jesus asked him this question. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? And so Jesus asked a simple question. The question is, are you sure that you want to be great? Are you sure you want to be great? Because listen, greatness costs. It costs everything. When Jesus says, are you sure? Do you really know what you're asking? Because what you're asking is not what you think it means. And, and they, should, they should have realized here they made a mistake, right? Because they say, hey, hey, Jesus, by the way, when you're sitting on your throne and you're all awesome and you're powerful and everybody is bowing at your feet, if we could be right next to you, so everybody was looking at us, and we were in places. They even say, we want to be sitting in the places of honor next to you. That would be great. And Jesus says, ooh, time out. Do you really know what you're asking? Are you really prepared to suffer what that's going to cost? And of course, Jesus, he, he says, um, you will, you will indeed drink my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering, but I have no say in who sits. Those places are prepared for and reserved by the Father. Don't get bogged down there. All it simply means is this. Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be great, it's going to cost you everything. If you want to be great, it's going to cost you everything you have. It's simple. It, it's ugly, it's not what the world teaches. It's completely different than the world tells you this works. It's completely different than what the world wants to give you. The world tells you that you are going to be great when people respond to you, that you're going to be great uh, when, when people recognize you for who you are, that you will be great when people serve you. That's what the world teaches. Unfortunately, it's what some Christian ministry teaches. You turn on the TV on Sunday, right? Turn on, turn on the radio. Check out some YouTube things, and you're going to see all kinds of Christian teachers telling you that greatness comes when you have, that, that God always responds to you by giving, giving, giving. And they may say things like sacrifice. They may say things like, like that it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. And then they'll get into their jet and they'll fly away. The world teaches us something different. But Jesus very clearly says here, look, you want to be great. I don't think you know what that means. Anybody here ever watch The Princess Bride? Who loves The Princess Bride? All right, there's, there's a scene in The Princess Bride. There's something that happens over and over and over again in The Princess Bride, and, and it's, uh, it's Vincini. You know Vincini, right? The evil Vincini, the, the short, plump, bald guy. Um, if I was a little shorter, I might be 
um, growing to be more and more like Vincini. But here's what he says. He, he, he's, he's famous in the movie for the word inconceivable, meaning that there's no way, I, you couldn't even think that such a thing might happen. You know, they ask, is anybody following us? Inconceivable. That guy didn't fall off the cliff. Inconceivable. And he says inconceivable all the time. Like, I can't possibly believe that this could ever happen. Finally, Inigo Montoya, you know him, right? You killed his father, prepare to die. Anyway, Indigo Montoya looks at Vincini and he says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Because he keeps using it in the wrong context and that's what's happening with the disciples. They keep saying, I want to be great. We want to be honored. We want to be more important than everybody else. We want everybody to look at us in ooh and awe and we want people to serve us and we want to be first and we want to be great. And Jesus says, man, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I don't think that means what you think it means. And, and that's why he, he then, he, he goes on to explain this to them, exactly what this looks like. And, and we see this as the text continues. That's the one I wanted. Mark 10, uh, 42, as this continues. So Jesus called them together and said, oh, by the way, he's calling them together because they're getting indignant. Okay. The other 10, I mean, can you imagine being one of the other 10, especially Peter, who's in the inner circle, right? Or any of the other nine. So, so you got the other 10 disciples who were sitting around. They're following Jesus just like everybody else. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. They're doing the same thing, right? They, they're all in on Jesus. Jesus is going to go later in his ministry. He's going to go back to Jerusalem. He's going to go to the temple, and they're going to be like, oh, Jesus, man, they're going to kill you. Thomas is like, all right, let's go. Let's do this, right? I mean, the other disciples are all in. But yet, these two have kind of tried to do an end around. They've tried to sneak in front, and they've, they've kind of had this, you know, hey, Jesus, those guys are great, but look at us, right? You need us on your team. How about we get these places of honor? And the other 10 hear about this, and they are indignant. They are angry. And so Jesus calls them together, and he says, look, here's how he says it. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those that are under them. It's just a simple way that he says this. He says, look, you know the way that it works in this world. You know what the culture says is right, and we talked about that, right? We're, we're called to be not conformed to the world, but we're called to be transformed. He says, this is how it works in the world. In the world, you be great so that people serve you. You be great so that you can tell people what to do and people will follow your every command and people will do what you want them to do and it will be all about you and it will be selfish and you will be the focus and everybody will say, oh, you're so awesome. That's what happens in the world. That's how the rulers of the Gentiles, that's how they do it. That's how the chief high priests do it. That's how the Pharisees and the Sadducees did it. That's how they all did it in this time. They all elevated themselves so that they were great and they inspected everybody that was beneath them to act like they were beneath them, to grovel, to serve, to go get, to give up for. But Jesus says, that's how they do it. That's what happens here. But if we keep going, he says, not you. Look at this, 43 and 44, he says, that's how they do it, right? right? The rulers of this world lord it over their people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Because whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave 
of everyone else. Jesus says, look, this is the pattern of the world. Elevate yourself, lord it over people, be a big shot for big shot's sake. You can do this. You've got this. But among you and among you here is the disciples, people that follow Jesus. He says, among you, it's going to be different. You want to know the recipe for greatness? He lays it out for him. The recipe for greatness is to put yourself last. You know, recipes are important. You know, you ever ate something that was so delicious and you tried to recreate it for yourself and you fall woefully short? That happened to me once. A lot, actually. But there was something that my mom used to make. Apple cake. I know what you're thinking. You're like, apple cake, that's pretty simple. I don't know. There was something about it. I think she used crack. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but it was apple cake. And it was really good. And it had like this caramely, mapley frosting that went on top. And it was delicious. And I loved it. And it was so good. And then Carrie and I, when we were at Bethany long, 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 long time ago, probably 15 years ago, it seems like, um, small group got into the pattern of every night somebody else would be bringing dessert. And, man, I wanted my dessert to be awesome. I wanted everybody to eat my dessert and go, wow, Matt, like, you're the best dessert maker ever. And your dessert is so good. How will we ever top your dessert? Nobody will ever be able to make dessert like this again. I didn't really think it through because if that had happened, they probably would have said, Matt, you're in charge of dessert every week. (laughs) Nobody ever said I was bright. But I wanted to make the apple cake, and so I called my mom, and you can ask her, she's sitting over here today. So I called my mom, and I said, Mom, what's the recipe to make apple cake? And she gave me the recipe, and I wrote down what she told me word for word. And I made the apple cake. I mean, I had to chop a lot of apples. I made the apple cake. We were meeting at Tim Camler, Becky Camler's house that night, I remember, and I wanted it to be warm and delicious, so I got it all ready, but I didn't bake it. I called Tim. I was so excited. Tim, <laughs> nailed dessert tonight, bro. You better get the lesson tight. You better get it up and running. It better be great because otherwise your failure in my dessert is going to save the day and it's going to be great. Yeah, I bragged. And then I brought the dessert. I'm like, you preheat that oven to 350. We're going to do this. Got there a few minutes early. We put that thing in the oven. We set the timer for 30 minutes. At 30 minutes, it came out. It was soup. So we looked at it and we thought, huh, you know what? It's not done yet. Put that back in, waited another 30 minutes, came out. Guess what? Now it was caramelized soup. <laughs> Turns out I'd forgotten a key ingredient. Flour. Obviously, people know this. <laughs> and when you say, and, and here's the thing, when I say I'd forgotten a key ingredient, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> mm-mm. No, because here's what it is. She didn't want anybody else making her apple cake. Now, she'll, she'll deny that part, but I'm sure that's what happened. And you could talk to my sister-in-law because later she wanted to make her lemon squares. And mom's like, yeah, you need a cup of salt. I believe the word she was looking for was teaspoon. Whatever. Whatever. Water under the bridge. 15 years ago, I've completely forgiven her. Um, 
thing is this, if you want it to work out the way it's supposed to work out, you've got to follow the recipe. If you don't follow the recipe, it simply can't work. And Jesus says, you know what? You want to be great. Stop doing it like everybody else in the world does it. You want to be great. Then here's the recipe you follow. You put yourself last. You want to be great. Then you act like you're nothing. You want to be great, then you pour your life out in service for other people because then and only then will you be great. I mean, he says it so clearly. He says everybody else in the world wants to be in charge because that's where the power comes from, but not you. You want to be great, you get yourself low because that's where everything pours out of. You want to be great, then you spend your life pouring out. For everybody else. It's the way that it works. And we say, Matt, that doesn't make sense. Why is it? Listen, he tells us that time and time again as we go through scripture. Jim, give me a slide. He says this time and time again as we go through scripture. Look, he, he tells us in Luke 12, 48, he says, look, when someone has been given much, guess what? Much is going to be required in return. When someone's been entrusted with much, even more will be required. This is what we learn in, in, in Luke 12, 48. He says, look, you want to be great? Good, good. Then you are going to have to pour everything out. Everything that you've been given, your intelligence, your passion, your financial resources, Everything that God poured into you when he made you new in Christ Jesus, it is not so that you could flaunt it. It's not so that you could lord it over people. It's not so that you could set yourself up high. It's so that you could pour yourself out on behalf of others. And you know what? If you think you've been given a lot, see, here's, here's the great thing. The more highly you think of yourself, and stop, just stop. Like, I know some of you are like, we don't think highly of ourselves at all. You have to say that. I know that, right? That's the good thing. It's like, oh, no, I'm not very, but come on. It's me. Come on. The more highly you think of yourself, the more that God's gifted you, the more that God's poured into you, well, guess what? The more he expects in return because he didn't give that to you. He didn't wire you that way. He didn't give you a passion so that you could just have. He gave you a passion so that you could pour out. James 1.27 says it this way. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. True and genuine religion is about service. And before you get confused, understand that it's not about service so that you'll be right with God. Don't get confused about that. It's not, true and genuine religion is about service, but not service so that God will accept you. It's service because God has accepted you. And what else are you supposed to do? God loves you and God pours into you. And because of that, because I'm not going to lord it over, because I'm not going to do it this way and I'm going to follow the recipe, God pours into me so that I can pour out and I can get low and I can serve. And listen, this is across the board. I don't care who you are. You're running a company? Great. And God expects you to pour yourself out. You the lowest guy in the company? Okay. God expects you to pour yourself out. You a kid at school that everybody looks up to? Good. God expects you to pour yourself out. You the kid at school that everybody kind of avoids? Trust, I've been there. 
Been there. God still expects you to pour yourself out. I don't care where you are or who you are. This is the way it's supposed to work. This is the way it has to work. And then he says this. He, he ends this chunk of scripture in Mark 10, 45, and he says this. Look, here's how everybody else does it. They lord it over their people, but, but you were made to serve. You want to know the recipe. You want to be great. You want to be honored. Then you get low. Instead of running to the front of the line, you get at the end of the line. Right? Instead of waiting for other people to do for you, you do for them. You pour yourself out for them. That's what this is about. That's how to be great. That's why you were made new. That's why I made you new in Christ Jesus so you could be about these things. You want to know what your life is meant to do? It's meant to be spent, poured out for other people. That is not a popular message. It's not the feel-good church message. Your life is not spent so that you can accumulate. Your life should be spent poured out for other people. And this is what Jesus says. He says, for even I, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I, Son of God, God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, I came to do all of these things. Here's what he says, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself even further in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on the cross. This is Jesus. This is God. He says, you know what? I deserve to sit on the throne. But here's what I did. I was a slave to everybody. It says, in human terms, I finished last. I poured myself out for other people. You want to be great? You do the same. You know why Jesus is great? Because the Son of Man came to do this for you. It, this is what it says. Oh, man. It says, this is what he did. He died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore... God elevated him to a place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. But here's the thing that you have to understand, that Jesus' greatness is measured by his sacrifice. Jesus' greatness is measured by his sacrifice. Jesus is lifted up because he bowed low. You want to be great it only happens through your service. Ask the praise team to come up, prepare to close this out. Okay, and this is, this is what I'll tell you. As they come up and prepare to close us, um, that the reality is this. If you want to be great, if you want to know what God has for you, if you want to stop riding the fence, if you want to stop looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, boy, I really wish that I had grown a little bit, that I really wish I was a little better off today than I was yesterday. I really wish that I was growing to be more like Jesus, but yet I'm still stuck in the same sin. I'm still doing the same things. I'm still asking the same questions. If you want to move past that, then it's time to be intentional. Step by step, you start following God. You start asking the Holy Spirit. You start pushing out. We talked about those four things. There's two more. Find a place to regularly serve both inside and outside of the church. If you are a regular person here at Blessed Hope and you don't have a major area of service, 
It's time for you to have a major area of service. When I say major, um, I, I, I was always taught that you should have one major area of service at church. You might have several minor areas, but you should have one major area of service at the church that, that, that takes time, energy, and devotion. If you're a regular here at Blessed Hope Church, if you're a member here at Blessed Hope Church, and you don't have a regular area of service, it's time to rectify that. To help you, there's a table out there with some different areas that you might decide that you're ready to start serving in. Some would be major, some would be minor. You sign up where you think that you're ready to start serving. Get a part of a small group. If you haven't signed up for small groups yet, there is, there is time to sign up for this winter semester, but it's time to start doing those things. It's time to start being intentional about moving forward. Practice generosity, not just with your money. Yes, be generous with your money, but practice generosity with your time. Okay? Listen, if you're ready to grow, then it's time to take the intentional steps to grow. Would you pray with me and we'll ask God for that as we close? Heavenly Father, we just love you. We praise you. We thank you. And, and we ask you to continue to urge us on in growth, to, for, for your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to continue to push us forward as we try to grow. Help us to understand that the recipe for greatness and success in life is to be at the service and pouring ourselves out for others. And knowing that as we do that, that that's how we honor you, that service for God is service for others. God, please remind us of that as we work. Father, don't let us leave here today without being convicted and without being challenged to start being intentional in the way that we live. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Hey guys, let, let that be our, our heart's prayer to make us a servant, to make us be about something more than ourselves, to pour ourselves out, not because we're great, but because God is. Know this, when you serve people in the name of God, you are serving God. It's that simple. Thank you for coming today. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, make sure you get signed up for things you need to. And hey, listen, new system. So if you've got kids downstairs, don't forget to go get them. <laughs>